Well, here we are in September, folks. And uh, it's always exciting to do a new season and to start a new series and to see what God would have for us and all of these things. And so I'm excited to do this with you. I hope you're having you have a great summer. It was kind of a great summer. I feel like everybody, after two years of not knowing if you were allowed to do anything, everybody did everything. Yes. yes. Is that right? happened? I love that. Okay. So we are going into a new series, which I have entitled, Who is Church? And I think you kind of maybe, probably, hopefully understand a little bit of what I'm trying to communicate there. In that church is, of course, not this building. This is like, we may say, call it the church building, or I'm going to the church, or whatever. But in reality, it's okay to have those words, but what are we really trying to say when we talk about the church? And that's what we're going to focus on in September, because I think there's a lot that maybe we don't talk about, or we don't explicitly say, or we don't we just kind of take for granted in church life, and so we're going to unpack some of those things together. So let's get started here with week one. This is a four-week series, and uh, don't, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal, but the third one of this series is my birthday. Like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it just now. Just remember, okay? Just, re- just remember. Um, there is this, this scene in the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Do you remember this movie? Uh, where the main character, Tula, wants to take some courses at the community college, but her father refuses to let her do that. And so she's crying, and she goes to her mom, and she says, uh, and, and, and she's like, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm so sad. And her mom says, don't, don't you worry. I'll talk to him. And Tula says, Ma, Dad is so stubborn. What he says goes, the man is the head of the house. This is, I just watched this clip the other day. When her mom says to her, let me tell you something, Tula. The man is the head, but the woman is the neck, and she can turn the head whatever way she wants. <laughs> and sure enough, she, the mom does convince the, uh, the dad to let Tula take the courses. Now, this, this scene always makes me laugh, and not because it's healthy. It's not a healthy dynamic in that relationship, friends, that that's just <laughs> quietly how the marriage works. That's not good. It's not true necessarily. Uh, come on, it's not true or healthy in that relationship, but it was funny nevertheless. What I think is really interesting about that saying is that uh, when she says that we laugh is because we are just so ridiculously good at figuring out who to talk to in order to get what we want. We learn this as children. Kids always ask the parent that they think they're going to get a yes out of and not the other parent. (laughs) And it gets annoying. Go ask your dad. Well, no, why why would we do that? We know dad's going to say no. Well, then I say no, you know. We know which parent to ask. Your kids do this to you, do they not? And you know you did this to your parents. I always ask my mom everything. Yeah, always. Everybody. I don't know if that's like that in every house, but I know that for us, and I know that it's true in our house. We learn this as kids. Um, as adults, we might, maybe we make friends with the boss's assistant because we know we can always get a meeting. Or the chair of the condo board because we know that our opinion will always be heard. Or the spouse of our kid's soccer, soccer coach. We know who to go to when we don't want to go directly to the source or when, we, uh, when the person who has the power in whatever situation we are facing isn't accessible to us. We're pretty good at figuring out how to get what we want talking to the right person. And what's the saying, of course? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. There are just so many times in our lives when we need a mediator. Couples go to therapy. Why? To have somebody mediate their communication and conflict. Parents, especially as the summer is almost over, now you're just mere hours away from the school year beginning, 
Parents have to mediate fights between their bored, need the structure of school children, right? Parents in this time of year. Lawyers act as mediators between the accused and the law. Sometimes we need a go-between. There's just lots of areas in life where this is true. When we were in the process of adopting our kids, we had to rely on the mediation of others. We hired an adoption agency who not only facilitated the process, but went to court on our behalf and uh, was the power of attorney to speak for Rob and I um, as uh, fit parents for Kenan Nardos and Natnail. When there was mysterious delays in our adoption processes as part of the adoption process, um, our MP, we were living in Edmonton at the time, our MP actually went to our church. And so we would call him and he would call his contact in Canadian immigration and find the source of the problem. A couple of times he did this for us before our agency or anybody else really knew what the issue was. He was already stepping in and helping us to solve it. Sometimes we just need someone to speak for us, to go right to the source, because we literally are powerless to do it for ourselves. And so that is exactly where we're going to start in this series that I'm calling, like I said, Who is Church? We're going to start here with the foundation of understanding how it is that ordinary, broken, sinful people like you and me could possibly know the God of the universe and talk to him and have him directly hear us and respond to us. How does this even work? In this series, we're going to outline who the church is. We're going to talk about what, who are the members, uh, who are the deacons. Have you ever wondered about that? Um, who are the pastors? I hope you'll find it helpful. I hope it will deepen your understanding of um, how we as a local church are an expression of the body of Christ. But to start off, let's lay the foundation of who is church by talking about the priests. Yes, the priests. Pastor Tracy, we don't have priests. I know. Are you excited to find out what I'm talking about? Just stick with me. It's okay. Um, if you're not excited, you will be. If you're new here, you don't know that. I'm just going to do my best to make sure that you're excited about this theological concept by the time we are finished because it will change your life and perhaps already has and you just don't know it yet. Are you excited now? <laughs> I'll start by reading three key texts and um, uh, to you. We're going to kind of camp there, particularly in one of them. But I want you to be aware. I just wanted to read a few to you because... When you understand this concept, you are going to start to see it in other places of Scripture, and I want you to be able to do that so that when you read Scripture, you can say, oh, this is what this is referring to, and it's not a mystery to you. Um, and I also appreciate that when we talk about uh, this concept this morning, some of it, some, so for some of you, it's a well-worn idea. If this is a, like an old idea for you, and, and that's not a bad thing, but I also know that for some of you, this will be a brand new concept. So the goal for us this morning is to bring clarity uh, for, for those who it's new, and to bring a new or renewed appreciation for what we're talking about and how amazing it is for anyone who has heard of this before. So we're going to do this. First Peter chapter 2. We're going to go there together. Um, if you are with us, uh, even in person, you can go to the Version Bible app. Go to More and then Events, and you can see these scriptures loaded up there for you. There's Bibles in the seat in front of you, but of course, off campus, you can load up, uh, maybe on a separate tab or a separate screen, uh, the, the Bible there. You can follow along. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read 4 to 10. This section in scripture is called the living stone and a chosen people. So it's going to be good. It's good. Okay, so here we go. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. It says this. As you come to him, the living stone, uppercase S. So that means we're talking about Jesus. Whoever said it, 10 points. I, didn't, I don't know where it came from. Was it my dad? Oh, it was Jack. Okay, Jack, 10 points to you. Well done. 
So we're talking about Jesus here. He's, the, he's being called the living stone in this passage. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I know there's language in there that's a little bit difficult, but hopefully you, you understood that Jesus is being called the stone that the builders rejected. There are people who, uh, though he is the cornerstone, though he is the one, he is the living stone, there are those who choose to say, I don't believe that and I reject that message. But then for those of us who have seen who Jesus is and believe the message, then we have become in all of these spiritual blessings that Peter talks about here. Revelation chapter 1, verses, the second half of verse 5 and verse 6 says this, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, again, Jack said, Jesus, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And then one more passage here, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 23, says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised, is everybody say? Faithful. There's so much Old Testament language in that Hebrews passage, especially. We're going to get to that in a second. But I want to talk first about stones, and then I want to talk about the priesthood. Isn't this a weird morning? I'm, I'm so happy about it. Okay, so the idea of stones here helps us with context for that, that, for that, this first concept in our series of priesthood, and is also a metaphor for um, our whole series, because um, the, the metaphor here is about the house of God, the people of God being built into this spiritual house. And so it's a good metaphor for us as we're talking about the structure of the church. So in First Peter chapter 2, uh, Peter reiterates what Jesus, there's a lot of quotes in there you will have seen. Jesus is reiterating what Jesus said about himself, about being the stone the builders rejected in Matthew 24, 42. You can check that if you'd like. That he, Jesus said that he is the stone the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. So Jesus actually applies this, this metaphor to himself um, in Matthew 24. 
And when Jesus said it, he was calling on a prophecy about the Messiah from Psalm 118, verse 2, and he was applying it to himself. So first was spoken prophetically about the Messiah by the psalmist in Psalm 118. Jesus uses it to say, like, this is me. I am the Messiah. I am this cornerstone, the stone the builders rejected. He calls on that prophecy, applies it to himself. And now Peter is reminding everybody who didn't know or who hadn't heard that this is, in fact, the Jesus that we're preaching. This is the the gospel. So you can see this kind of weaving all the way through scripture. And though there are many people who rejected that he was the one, he was the true Messiah, nevertheless, he is the cornerstone of the building itself. So the cornerstone of a foundation, probably you've already figured that out just by the word itself, would be the first stone to be put in place in a building. And the angle and the level of the walls would extend from it. So the cornerstone had to be square and true. Otherwise, the whole rest of the building would be out of whack. It had to be perfect in order for the house to be secure, to last, to build your house on the rock. And this is Jesus. This is the, this is the metaphor here. He's the one who's perfect and true in every sense of the word. And uh, as Colossians 1.17 says... He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Ooh, I love Colossians. Matthew uh, 16, 18 uh, records Jesus asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says to him, you are Peter, or in the original language, Petra, which means rock. So you are rock. And on this rock, he's using a play on words here to say, on the confession of the rock, Peter, and on this confession of the, of the fact that I am the Messiah, the son of the living God, I will build my church. This, this idea of who Jesus is being the cornerstone, the thing that his church will be built from, is just woven throughout Scripture. So Jesus is the cornerstone, and it says that we are being built into his spiritual house with him as the first stone in the house. It's pretty cool, eh? When we are built in alignment with him, then we are in alignment with what's true and what's real and what's lasting and what cannot be shaken. We know that uh, being a Christian is community. There's no such thing as a person who says that they're a Christian and decides they don't need anybody else. This is not the picture here. We become part of the body of Christ, this spiritual house. Individual people have to make their own choice to follow Jesus, of course. They find their true place then after they've made that decision as they are built into the structure of the living house, built on the living stone. Do you get this with me? Okay, we're getting there. I'm like, I can see you're almost excited too. (laughs) People have always tried to build meaning, build security, build purpose on their own in their own way. People do it through religion. They do it through power. They do it through money. But Jesus came and set himself up as the perfect foundation for life. Everything built from him can be trusted because it's perfect and true. And his foundation is so often rejected. That's clear in scripture. But but there he is nevertheless. The way, the truth, 
the life, the way to actually build your life in a way that cannot be shaken. And so Peter here in his letter is specifically referring to, um, in this case, the Jews who were looking for the Messiah. They had that, that, that prophetic message about the stone that the builders rejected from Psalm 118. And they were looking for this Messiah, but they rejected Jesus as the one. So many of them rejected him as the one they were looking for. And they missed the opportunity to be built into this house. And so we understand that... Um, we have to understand all of this and what this metaphor looks like. And then we can turn into who we are in this spiritual house. And right in the same passage, um, Peter says, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So earlier I was asked, are you going to sing in your message today, I'm like, no, I don't have any songs. And now so many songs are coming to my mind. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, Pastor Ethan. I'm not. You want me to? He wants me to. He wants me to. He's like, no, he doesn't. know. So many songs written about this concept that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. The people of God have been singing about this for so long, but I will refrain in this just one particular moment. Being a Christ follower is certainly not always easy, and we absolutely get discouraged in our journey. So Peter here for us laid out some incredible spiritual riches that we have in Jesus and the value that God places on each of us to keep us pointed in the right direction, to understand our place as we are built into the spiritual house that that Jesus is the cornerstone of. And so we jump a little bit to that Hebrews 10 passage that we already read with all of that Old Testament language in it. And we get a brief picture then of what it means that if we are in this spiritual house, that we are also now a a nation of priests in some way. What does that mean? Hebrews 10 really helps us with all of Hebrews actually really helps us with this, but particularly here. So I'm going to show you what happens in the Old Testament, what happened in the Old Testament. I want to show you now what is true in the New Testament. And this can be found all over Scripture. And if you're looking for any of these passages, please let me know and we'll we'll go to them together. But for the sake of time, um, I'm going to list them. And uh, Vaughn, there's going to be a lot of clicking for you. You got got me. Okay. Okay, first in the Old Testament, there was the, the sacrifices were done with the blood of animals. In the New Testament, we have the blood of Jesus once and for all. In the Old Testament, the priests went into the most holy place, that inner part of the temple, and one time a year, and only the high priest to make atonement for the sins of the people one time a year. But now, uh, the most holy place is available to us at any time. We were in there this morning together, just allowed to just go on in and just, just worship. Just go on in. It's amazing. The veil uh, was torn. There was a, there was a, a veil that, that separated the people from the presence of God in the Old Testament because it was too much. But because of what Jesus did, the veil was torn. Do you remember Easter? Like literally and spiritually, the veil between the most holy place and the people was torn so that access would now be granted into the presence of God at any time. In the Old Testament, the high priest was imperfect and, and, and died because he was a man. And had to be replaced when he did. But in the New Testament, we have a great high priest, Jesus, who is perfect and died but then rose again and lives forever. So therefore never needs to be replaced and continues to act as our high priest. In the Old Testament, 
things were sprinkled with blood to cover sin. That's the language that maybe in, in that Hebrews passage that you might be, what's that? Things were literally sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifices in order to symbolically make them clean. But in the New Testament, uh, the, the symbol here is that we are sprinkled with the spiritual blood of Christ to make our hearts clean. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices uh, that, were, that were made, the priests, the clothes, everything was washed with water to make it clean. In the New Testament, here it says that our sin, our, we are, that our sin is washed away by what Christ did for us. And not just our sin is covered, but our sin is literally washed away. And we symbolize this washing away, not just washing for a season and having come back. We symbolize this washing away, but with what, with what thing in our church? With baptism, that's right. There's that symbol of like, we have been washed with water. The temple was full of beautiful, expensive materials in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it says that us believers, we carry the beauty of holiness with us. We carry with us God's glory better than any gold-covered anything that could have been in the old temple. In fact, that old temple was old. It got destroyed. It had to be rebuilt. It had to be renovated. And, and there are stones that had to be repaired over and over again. But Jesus, the living stone, is alive and perfect forever, never has to be replaced, never has to be renovated, is never in danger of being torn down. The Old Testament, they sacrificed animals. In the New Testament, we make spiritual sacrifices of our hearts and our minds and our wills and our obedience and our worship. In the Old Testament, they had to go to Jerusalem to worship. In the New Testament, we go to Jesus to worship at any time and any place. In the Old Testament, the priests were special people. They, were, they were literally had the lineage from the tribe of Levi, and it was very important that they were in a specific group of people. But here in the New Testament, very clearly, priests are everyone who belongs to Jesus' spiritual house. That is a lot to take in, and it should be, because it's unbelievably great it's beautiful and it's nuanced and everything that Jesus did wasn't just kind of random it was all in God's plan to save his people it was all in God's plan to make it so that we could find a way to Jesus that we could be made new that we could be free we could spend eternity with God to repair that broken relationship that sin had caused it's it's really incredible and hopefully gives you perspective on how amazing it is that you have a position like you do in Christ, in this house. Jesus has given the church the same priestly task that was once given to Israel. It says we are a kingdom of priests. You feel like that this morning? You should because you are. And theologians call this the priesthood of all believers. Maybe you've heard this term. When Martin Luther was reading uh, these same passages that we're reading this morning back in the 1500s, he looked at the structure of the church that he was a part of at the time, and he wondered why people needed to go to priests for forgiveness of sin. Why priests had to do their praying for them. Why they had to go to somebody else in order to meet with God. Because he's reading these scriptures and thinking, it's just so clear here that we are all considered priests in Christ. And that's where the term priesthood of all believers grew out of, the reformation that Martin Luther started uh, in Germany. And Martin Luther's conviction was that the true believer in Christ has full and immediate access to God and did not need to go through a human mediator or a priest. 
The Gospel Coalition, I, I read some articles around this idea, and I found just this one paragraph really helpful, especially if this is a new idea for you. Um, hopefully this will help you. Just to summarize it, there is no longer a priestly class of people within God's people, like in the Old Testament. But all believers share in Christ's priestly status by our faith in him and relationship with him. Although there was a select group of priests in the Old Testament who mediated the knowledge, presence, and forgiveness of God to the rest of Israel, Christ has come and fulfilled the priestly role through his life, death, and resurrection. Therefore, Christ was the final priestly mediator between God and his people. And Christians share in that role through him. This means that Christians are not dependent upon the priests within the church to interpret scripture for them or to affect God's blessing or forgiveness for them. All Christians are equally priests through Christ and stand upon the same ground before the cross. I am grateful. And here you hear the concept of mediation. You want to know who to go to to get to God? Scripture says it's the same answer. Jack, would you help us? Jesus. <laughs> this is the only mediator that we need. You don't have to try to find somebody else who's more spiritual than you, more holy than you, and try to get to God through them. Maybe they'll pray for you. Well, if Pastor Dell prays for you, then you'll really be prayed for. You know what I mean? Scripture says you can pray. And we also pray for one another. And we also believe in the spiritual gifts poured on the church. But you, are, you have that access yourself. You don't have to go to anybody else. Jesus has made himself that for you forever and all time. We have the right because of Jesus to access the presence of God through the torn veil of the Holy of Holies like we talked about. And we are a company of priests in full possession of high priestly privileges. God has made us his treasure bringing us from slavery to royalty, setting us apart for holy service, each one of us doing the work of a priest, which is to worship God, to glorify him, to declare his praises, and to do his mission by serving the world around us. In a sense, actually, the word church and the word ministry are synonymous. Because while there are roles defined for leadership in the church and those are given to the church by Jesus himself. We're going to talk about that from Ephesians 4 in a couple of weeks. We are all ministers and we all receive ministry because we are all priests. You know, the Latin for the word priest is pontifex, which literally translates to bridge builder. A priest, that's you and me, I don't want you to forget this, is a person who has access to God, brings an offering to God, and whose task it is to bring others to him as well. We are bridge builders. In the Old Testament, priests were chosen for service and obedience. In the New Testament, priests are chosen for service and obedience. So let me say this to you. If you don't have a relationship with God, did you know that all of this was available to you, this kind of access? It literally can be yours today just by putting your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And if you've been with us before, you know this is true, that, um, if, that there's lot, if there's questions around that, if you want to know more about what that means, we would love to talk to you. Come and see any one of us here on staff. Give us, drop us a line. 
You can go off campus to our, um, our website, freedomkw.com slash life, and there's an explanation there, but also a way to connect with us. This is available to you if you've never taken advantage of it. This is the life that you can have. The access to the God who created you is available to you every day. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you do know what this means, do you know who you are in him? Do you take advantage of your privilege as a priest? Do you wait for somebody else to lead you to him? Or do you wait for a, like a certain day of the week to go to him? Or do you go boldly into his presence and live out your service and obedience for him daily? Because that's the call. That's the privilege that's been made available through Jesus. And as much as I love being in leadership in the local church, I count it such a high privilege and honor to serve like this. I can't do those things for you. I can't, I can't go to, into God's presence for you. I can do my best to talk about it. I can do my best to explain it. I can do my best to, to lead in, 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 that, in a way that makes you understand that that's real. But I can't do it for you. But you are invited and even called to do that for yourself, priesthood of all believers. So this is the setup for this series because I want us to understand this concept first and foremost before we start talking about the practicalities of some of the roles that have been set up to help us as the body of Christ to do this mission, to do this bridge building as priests in the world around us, to serve God in the world around us. But I want you to understand this first, your position in Christ. And I hope that this will serve as a beautiful reminder to you that any time that the enemy would try to say otherwise to you, that you are uh, something other than God's special possession, that you'd be like, hmm, incorrect. I said that to Jesus. I said that to Jesus uh, about what the enemy was saying to me just yesterday and this morning. I was like, Jesus, you said that's not true. So no thank you, devil, for that little word, because I see that your word says, I'm a chosen priesthood. I'm part of a holy nation. I'm God's special possession. Even when I don't feel special, even when I don't get goosebumps, that's what the word says, and that's what I will stand on. And so uh, I'm going to invite Pastor Erin to come, and she's going to lead us in communion. What a beautiful morning to have communion. To remember that as we gather around this table, that we can do this freely and boldly and anytime we want to, because Jesus has made this available to us. That we, we, um, we serve and we lead you in this, in, in this um, ordinance this morning, but we do it uh, together to say, we, we have this privilege because Jesus has done this for us. Amen? So can we just pause with thanksgiving and say, Jesus, thank you. That you have, it's just almost too big of a concept to wrap our minds around, but we, we are just listening to your word and trying to put ourselves into the truth that you have already stated so clearly in your word. That you have called us and you have made us holy, and we are your special possession, and that these things have all happened through your sacrifice of the cross for us. That we have a mediator forever and for all time because you rose again, and you are the living great high priest who does all of this for us. And so we pray this morning 
as we are led through this, this um, time together, that it would be again and again and again special to us as we realize that because of this sacrifice, because of what you've done for us, we can freely be in your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.